what the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. I'm just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Absolutely not. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Glad to have you with us for this, the Friday edition of The Big Picture. Every week, we talk about the biggest stories in the NBA, break down how to bet them, what angles to take, how we approach these teams, and of course, always with an eye towards the playoffs and the NBA championship. Everything we talk about today can also be found in the Action Network app. It's the best way for you to track your picks. You'll get up to the second information on where the bets are coming in, where the money's coming in, uh, you get all sorts of cool graphs. It's a very fast app. It's a beautiful app. It's very delicate. It's beautiful, like an egg, like a Fabergé egg, only it helps you make money. Check it out. Download the Action Network app today. Join me, as always, is Brandon Anderson, NBA Futures Analyst. Brandon, how are you on this Thursday as we're recording? I'm doing well. You know, uh, Fabergé eggs, they tend to make you money, too. So it's kind of all the same thing. Get the app, get the egg. It, it all works out. Uh, we're both wearing blue shirts, which you can find on the, on the YouTube stream of this of this show, and uh, uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with it. This I'm going to need you to, I don't know, go put a. I got on. I got my uh, Kevin Durant Warrior shirt on. It's part of the theme for today. Oh, I'm wearing a shirt with a giant overgrown Care Bear. So that's oh, well, that's part that's, of the theme too. That's what I'm doing. I don't know. Maybe that's related to an MVP discussion, which we won't talk about today. As we begin with tip off, that's where we go through the biggest stories around the league. Let's go ahead and start here. On Wednesday night, the Miami Heat and a loss to the Golden State Warriors on a back-to-back without almost all of their starters home for the Heat, mind you, had themselves a little bit of a tiff. There was a scuffle, a rumpus down in South Beach during an, and a timeout. Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra got up and were yelling at each other. And Udonis Haslam got into it. It actually began when apparently Jimmy Butler said that he indicated that he wanted to fight Eric Spolstra, wanted to get into a physical fist fight with his head coach. UD, obviously the elder statesman on the heat, made it clear that that was not acceptable behavior and invited Jimmy Butler to join him outside to have a deeper conversation about uh, the situation with his fists. Look, the heat have back to back losses now to the Sixers without Harden and Embiid and then to the Warriors without Draymond, Steph, and Clay. Um, I have bet the Heat pretty throughout the season in various finals matchups. I've moved to betting the Celtics. I've got a nice Heat position built up here, uh, which I'm no longer feeling great about. I'll ask you this. Blow-ups on, between teams is pretty common. Guys wanting to fight, pretty common. These are great athletes at the highest level, prideful dudes. These conflicts arise in the, in the spirit of competition. Is this blow-up significant or not for the Heat? chances to win the Eastern Conference? I think, no, it's not significant. And if it is, it's significant in a good way. Like you, you want this from the heat. It's been a long season. It's they're grinding. They're the one seed still, even after this little blip, they've lost four of seven. They're still the one seed as of Thursday. There's still a game and a half up on the Bucks and the Sixers and the Celtics. So it's in play now, but you know, it's Jimmy Butler and it's bam and it's Haslam and it's heat culture. Like we know, we know this is what Butler does. We know this is what this heat culture is like. Like if the camera caught this at a heat practice, we would shrug it off entirely. We'd be like, yeah, of course, that's what the heat players do in practice. Like they're just kind of getting into it. And I don't know, I, this is just signs of life to me. It's, it's a long season. It's March. And I, I think it's 
I'm not going to make too much of it. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, a couple of years ago that that Draymond on court thing that we oh. caught uh, with Draymond and KD and made a huge deal about it. And it ended up being nothing, but not nothing. It was a extremely yeah. a not nothing later. But for that season, it didn't really matter. Where do you know the whole thing with Butler? It's going to matter eventually. The Butler grind grinds on you, physicality, all that stuff. Uh, I don't think it's going to end well for Miami in a few years. But for now, I feel like it's kind of, you know, it's a spark. Yeah. Uh, after the game, the Heat were unanimous and laughing it off and Oh, if you only heard what we say in practice and this is not a problem and we're t- like all these things, look, they're not going to say anything else. Yeah. It doesn't matter in the situation. Like just as a, a little bit of insight here, like PR is going to get with them before they go into the podium and be like, Hey, this is the message, right? You don't have to tell Kyle Lowry that Kyle Lowry is going to be like, I, I, I know. Right. PJ Tucker, like, I, I know. Right. Um, so for me, I think it's, and look, Jimmy Butler, to my knowledge, didn't make comments last night, kind of, notable in that regard because jimmy might just pop off uh, i will say every time we we try and reassert what the narrative is on jimmy butler he goes takes the heat to the finals in the bubble and it's like oh everyone thought that he was the villain in the wolf situation but look what he's done with the heat with a good organization jimmy butler is a pain in the ass like this is pretty obvious like you don't get moved from Chicago to Minnesota to Philly and wind up in Miami with that many stops without a team being like, we will do whatever it takes to keep you. We'll do whatever it takes to keep you unless you are just a huge, huge pain. Um, and he is. And the question is just like whether you think he's worth it or not. The spark question I think is interesting, right? Like, does this like motivate them? And like, there, it was really funny because there was like a 30 to 12 run or something like that when, uh, after the, that altercation and the heat, you know, fans were very much like, that's what culture does. And then they lost anyway. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, but still lost to the Warriors without Draymond and Steph. So how, how, how sparkful was the spark here? Um, I, I definitely think it's something to, to watch. I would say that I would move the heat to, you need to not bet them now. Like if you were thinking about betting them, you need to probably wait. Like they've been under the radar because the Celtics are getting all this love. Now I would definitely move them to like, Hold off right now. I'm not going to cash out and jump off the bandwagon. That's certainly not how I'm reacting to last night, but it, I want to wait and see. Like, how, how do we respond the next week or two? I, I feel like the most likely outcome is that there is a little bit of a spark. They've been bottom five offense the last 10 games, but Butler missed four of those games. It feels very much like just kind of the going through the motion stretch of the season. And who could blame them? They've been coasting the one seed for a while, despite missing their guys for like 25 games each this season. So I think you wait it out. You don't bet them now, but you don't need to cash out now either. And I feel like, I feel like we'll feel better about betting them than wanting to be completely out within a week or two. Chicago Bulls lost to the Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday night, falling to, I believe to 0 and 13, 0 and 16, something like that. They are over no matter what it is to the top, top four seeds in the Eastern conference. Um, your whole thing, your whole thing when they traded for Vucevic and made all the deals that they did was that they were gearing up to be a first round out. It looked very different at the start of the season. Um, they don't have Lonzo Ball. They've looked much better since Alex Caruso got back. Losing to the Bucs, I don't think, is necessarily a big slight against them. Milwaukee being better than them, I don't think, is a problem. Um, however, there, do you give them any chance of making any noise in the playoffs, or are you going to take a victory lap here? 
So I was going to pose the same question to you, actually. So, so I'm curious. Like, I was like, does this mean I was right about the Bulls? And I, I think it's, it's some of both. If the Bulls get healthy, I would still give them a chance. I think that we misconstrued what this team was at the start of the season. I was wrong. I did not expect the Bulls to have that first half of the season. So I can't take a victory lap because I, I look, I said they were going to win like 32 games. We're, we're way past that. They're in the playoffs safely. I can't victory lap that. What was different, I think, than what even we saw happening, we looked at this team and said, okay, Tamar, possible MVP candidate and a clear all-star, Zach, clear all-star. And I'm not saying that those guys haven't been that good, but Lonzo and Caruso were really good too. And the team just hasn't been the same without them at peak. No Lonzo at all. Caruso is just back, only started two games now. And to me, even back when things were going well, this was a team situation. This was a five-man roster that worked well together. And credit to you. You said that, that that was going to work well. I didn't see it. I didn't see the roster working. But I think for them to make noise, and they can if Lonzo actually plays and Caruso is back and they get that five-man lineup again. Because to me, this is not about, well, DeMar was the MVP and now he's not good enough. DeMar was not the MVP. This was a good five-man lineup. This was a Suns light East version where you had a five guys who were really good. They need the five. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the differences there is how good the Suns bench is, right? And then a lot of this mm-hmm. is like the Bulls are pulling off, you know, for much of the season, it was like they played Elise Johnson, who I think honestly is terrible. Um, they've played uh, like Kobe White is inconsistent. He's shot well, but he's an offensive player. Io DeSumnu, I think, has played really well for a rookie, but that's like the big caveat here. For a rookie, you're still like they lose the DeSumnu the, the minutes if you look at it. And that's not surprising. You lose minutes with a rookie almost always. Um, so losing Caruso and Ball to have those nights where you're like, we don't have to play Io tonight. It's not his night. That hurts, right? That hurts your overall ability and your margin in a lot of these things. Uh, the only real formula I have for them being able to make noise is they're going to have to catch a team unawares. Like They're going to have to catch a team in a, in a bad spot with bad mojo. Like, you know, if the Heat were to somehow tumble, I could see that happening. I just don't know that they're going to get that matchup. If it winds up, if some team absolutely just drops off the face of the earth and it winds up like four, five Cleveland, Chicago, then yeah, like Chicago can get out of that. And if Miami beats the eight seed and is the second round, I think I could see Chicago versus Miami if Miami's having a meltdown because of Butler. But overall, I, I think the Bulls have to be like they're limited. We don't know about Lonzo's status. He's he's taking a week off to kind of reset for the recovery. The biggest problem for me, honestly, with this team the early season rules allowed them to defend at a really high level. And now that everything's kind of back to how it was, which is kind of a bummer because I liked it better when guys could defend um, the officiating, I think has changed a lot of that. And now it's like, this is an offensive league again. And the bulls do not have the sheer math. They don't shoot enough threes to be able to keep pace. We'll talk more about the bulls um, as we get closer to the playoffs. Finally on Wednesday night, the Memphis Grizzlies without John Morant take out the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, Raheem Palmer was all over the Nets in that game. Tough night for our guy. Uh, he also liked the Heat. Tough night for our guy. Um, he's going to kill me if he hears this. Don't tell him I said these things. Um, and I, I liked his picks at the time, too. We talked about him in yeah. the workshop. So without Jaw, the Grizzlies get this done. There's a lot of conversation to be had about 
like how the Grizzlies are without jaw and what that means to the MVP case. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. We talked about MVP last week. We'll do it again next week for sure. But I want to turn more to the Brooklyn Nets who get this loss on the road. Kyrie Irving is going to return to home games. Uh, Mayor Adams has lifted the ban and Kyrie is good to be back. So I guess he won or something. I don't know if he, if he won or lost this whole thing. We're not going to talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about the Nets and what this team looks like and whether or not they're a real contender in the big picture. And there's light at the end of the tunnel here. And uh, hopefully I can get back on that home floor and playing in the Barclays. And, and now we can finally have that conversation that you've been dying to have. Uh, just about, you know, turning the page and moving forward uh, beyond this. All right, so let's start off with this. Ben Simmons had an epidural on his back. He has not started running. Hasn't started running yet as of earlier this week. I don't think Simmons comes back this year. You've got an injury on top of a year being out, on top of conditioning, on top of his mental state. This is a lot of stuff. Pulling him back in with like three games to go over the playoffs and trying to figure it out in a playoff setting. Uh, I don't think it happens. I think Simmons sits out and then comes back next season. So I would like for the purposes of this discussion for us to assume that Ben Simmons will not play for the Brooklyn Nets this season. Can we agree? Yeah, I think so. And I trust you. You, you know the inside story on this a little better. I, I had been assuming that, you know, as Bruce Brown, Bruce has been really good this yeah. recent stretch for them. And I kind of felt like they were putting, they were ramping up Bruce Brown so that they could replace him with Ben Simmons eventually that they were kind of saying, Hey, we're going to figure out the team with this Ben Simmons type role, a, a screen a roller defender, whatever Bruce Brown is, we're going to let Ben Simmons take on that, you know, plus 30% or whatever. I, I felt like that's what they were trying to do, but you're right. The injury, I mean, look, you run a lot in the NBA. So if you're not even running yet, we're a ways off here. And yeah, I, I think we have to assume at this point until proven otherwise that we're not getting Ben this year. All right. So let's just go with the Katie and Kyrie stuff. Here's the good news with Katie and Kyrie this season. They're five and three with a plus 15.9 net rating when the two of them are on court. Woo! Incredible offense, good defense, just phenomenal point differential. Uh, here's who they played. They beat the Pacers. They beat the Chicago Bulls. They beat the Hornets. They beat the Sixers. And they beat the Magic. That's a very mixed bag in terms of uh, their performance. They've lost to the Grizzlies. They've lost to the Boston Celtics, as everyone in the league has, except for the Detroit Pistons over the last two months. Uh, and they've lost to the Portland Trail Blazers. Head tilt. Um, five and three is good. It's not dominant. It's also not enough for us to really know. That's my big takeaway is I don't think we know. I'm having a hard time here, Brandon, because I talked to them in the preseason about how like you don't want to like about moving off of priors, being open to new ideas. Like don't be so set in your opinion. And like, my opinion all year is like, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are good enough. I don't think they have the guys. A lot of that was built on their front court rotation, which at the beginning of the year was Nick Claxton, who was not good. And Blake Griffin, who is now out of the rotation. Claxton's been much better. Bruce Brown's giving them good minutes. And Andre Drummond is their big man. And Andre Drummond is a perfectly serviceable big man. Um, there's, th there's tough stuff in the playoff series if they play certain matchups. I don't know that they're going to play those matchups. Like, there's not an East team with, like, a Chris Paul 
right? Like Drew Holiday is not Chris Paul, as good as Drew Holiday is. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry is not Chris Paul, as good as Kyle Lowry is. Zach Levine is a really great score in the mid-range, but they're just going to switch versus that team and they can outscore them because they will just shoot more threes, right? So like here, here uh, their front court has gotten better. So in that regard, I'm higher on the Nets than I was. I'm still not convinced that the way that this team, I do not watch the Nets and go like, quote unquote, scary hours. I do not walk away being like, when this team hits the playoffs, I'm still like, well, maybe Kevin Durant will score 40 every game and that's how they'll win. I don't know. My question for you is this is, and you brought this question up when we were doing a preseason show. If Katie and Kyrie had played the whole season, where do you think the Nets are and how do you think we consider them? Yeah, so it's even, you know, we, we have eight games right now uh, of these two. And you said the plus 15.9 net rating with the two on the court is great. Clearly great. If they can do that all year, they're going to win a bunch of games. They're going to make a run. However, Kyrie Irving's last four games have been incredible. He's scored in the last four games, 50, then 22, then 60, and then a measly 43 last night. Over those four games, 43.8 points a game, seven three-pointers per game at 61%. So here's a conclusion for you. Kyrie Irving, probably not going to have 80% true shooting and 152 offensive rating like he has for those four games for all the rest of the games is a 16.9 box plus minus in those four games. That would be the greatest season in the history of the world, better than like a video game season. So it's worrisome that they're only five and a three, even though he's been playing out of his mind in those games and had to take that plus 15.9 with a bit of a grain of salt, because we know we're not going to get that forever. However, what can this team be? So here's here's a potential answer to that. I'm going to flow this to you, and I just want to talk it through. I'm not saying they are this, but could they be this? Over the last 10 games, this is not the last 10, Katie and Kyra, this is just the last 10 Nets games. The Nets offense is third in the NBA. The Nets defense is 23rd. They're seventh in net rating overall. That's, that's not bad. That's not so far from what their profile was last year, really. Here's another team that had a very similar profile. Third on offense for the season. 21st on defense for the season. They had Kyrie Irving. They had another superstar. They won the 2017 title. Can KD and Kyrie do what LeBron and Kyrie did? That was no small title. They beat the 73-9 and nine Warriors in the finals. Can this oh, team... Wait, was the 2017 or 2016 team? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think I've got the numbers on the 2017. So maybe that's the wrong one then. That that's was okay. the team. That's okay because they faced KD, right? Um, but that's yes. still like they tore through the Eastern Conference and they yeah. did it with a team. Like this has been a debate between me and Cavs fans pretty hardcore. Like Zach Lowe has said that he thinks that Cavs team is awesome. Like he still talks about the t- 2017 Cavs team. Uh, as much as I respect Zach Lowe, which is as much as anyone can, like I okay. utmost respect. For Zach Lowe, I just I disagree on this point. That team was trash defensively, trash. That team sucked defensively. They made the finals in 2017 because they hit the Raptors. Wah, wah. They hit 
the Celtics in that Isaiah Thomas season when Isaiah Thomas tore his hip and that Celtics team was a tryhard team. The East was not ready for a LeBron level team. They just weren't. And so I think your, your point here though is salient in I can trash that as much. They still made the East finals. This is the exact same setup. I think for the Nets, they're just going to outscore everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you're hoping for is you hope that it's the playoffs and you play Durant 40, 42 minutes a night and you play Kyrie 38 or 40 minutes a night. You've got a bunch of other guards and shooters. That's not a problem. And you just amp up the minutes and let Durant and Kyrie take like three quarters of your shots and be awesome and let Kyrie score 40 points a night and let KD score 40 points a night. I think in that, in the finals that the Cavs won game five or six, where they uh, LeBron and Kyrie both scored 40, you're going to need that sort of game from this team because there's, there's just not a lot else on the team right now. Bruce Brown probably is your third best or most reliable player after those two. I mean, we, well, let's talk about the rotations a little bit. We had that in our notes. So they've got a bunch of guards. They got plenty of shooting. And then what happens? So what do you think is your starting five, you know, playoff rotation? Again, assuming no Ben Simmons, assuming obviously Joe Harris, we know is out. So how do you think the rotation looks in a playoff series? I think it's really flexible because this is one of the things like they don't, they're not like dependent on anybody uh, from the perspective of like nobody, there's nobody that they have to give minutes to be on Katie and Kyrie. Like that's, that's a lot of this is like you have Kate, you have Kyrie at point guard and you have Katie at power forward. And then everything else is like, whatever it is that the team needs and everyone gets that they are not in charge. Like nobody has authority on the team except for Katie and Kyrie. That's just pretty evident from if you pay attention to anything with them, that's that's like how it goes. Um, I would say your rotation probably looks like Katie, Kyrie, Bruce Brown, Drummond starts. God, they're starting Kessler. He's starting Kessler Edwards, man. No way they're starting Kessler the whole playoff run. That's one of those like start him for a game or two, and then it's like, hey, nope, just kidding. But like, here's the thing: what, what are their other options? They have to start one of those other guards because a problem with the roster. There are a lot of problems with the roster. You got Kyrie obviously going to start and play huge minutes, but the other guys on the team that are kind of valuable that have to be out there some are Seth Curry, Patty Mills, and Goran Dragic. You have to start one of those guys because you can't put them all behind Kyrie. Otherwise you've just buried yeah. the only valuable guys you have. Okay. All right. Here, here's what it is. It's, it's Kyrie, Seth Curry mills off the bench. It's Kyrie yeah. and Seth Brown plays forward. Yeah. That's Katie, what I think. Katie and Drummond and you sub Drummond for Claxton. If you want to go small. Yeah. And then you got Dragic and Patty coming off the bench. That, Jim, that's, that's the eight Johnson. man rotation that I expect. Yeah. Here's what I think that they need to do. And obviously they won't start this way. But I think that might need to finish this way. And now we know, we know that he's not going to like it. But I think that the hope for the Nets, if they're going to make a real move and make a run, is to excise as much of the Drummond Claxton minutes as they can and do the Durant at the five thing. And we know he doesn't want to be a center. He doesn't want to bang down there. You can't play Embiid. You can't play Jokic. You can't get away with it against certain matchups. Well, but 
If, if you, again, they don't have forwards. They have Durant. They don't have big men that we rely on. We know this about them. So if you put Brown at the four and Durant at the five or vice versa, whatever, if those are your two quote unquote big men, and now Kyrie's out there and you play two of Dragic, Patty and Seth, and you just space the floor, you get a lot of shooting out there and you're just like, we're not defending anyway. Let's just run and outscore you. 40 minutes of KD, Kyrie, and Brown split the other 48 between Dragic, Patty, and Seth and just try to score. I, I think they, they might do this. If you run against Bam out of bio, the question is just going to be is like, will Bam be aggressive enough? Yeah. Like is, and, and similarly, if KD is guarding Bam, right? You putting Bruce Brown on Jimmy? I guess that's like, a, that's not bad. Okay, but now who's guarding Kyle and who's guarding Hero and who's got like and, and of all those, your probably worst defender is going to be Taylor Duncan Robinson, who hasn't shot great this year, but still a threat like that. That concerns oh. me. All right. It's not doable versus Embiid. You're going to have to play Drummond. You're just going to have to. It's going to be Drummond and Claxton just trying to survive versus Embiid. Okay, you can try and outscore them. All right. It's not great, though. Like Embiid's going to have a monster series and be a problem. The Bucks are huge. Oh. The Bucks are huge they're a huge team um but but let's just set them aside even if you get into these type of situations like what about boston robert williams and al horford you're gonna have katie on on rob like you you switch everything so that's the whole thing right it's like two teams are just are just gonna switch everything like that's when you can probably you're just gonna have to play claxton i get it i think they could beat the celtics because you know it took so much from tatum for them to get that win the other night but still the advantages that you get offensively, this is one of the things with, with the with the Nets. They don't have a floor defensively. There's no floor. Like you can they have no ceiling offensively and they have no floor defensively. And every step that you take in going smaller to get better offensively makes you worse defensively. And the other teams in the East are still really good at offense. And so I, I just this is where I wind up. And, and it's just a matter of do you think that the math is going to work out in their favor? over the long haul to me the answer is maybe because the questions you're asking i don't think that they can win that way against milwaukee or philadelphia so throw those two out like just like you said but chicago miami boston miami boston really those are the two we've said all year do we trust those offenses to really punish just a terrible defense like those aren't the right sort of teams to just be like, well, the defense just isn't good enough. We're scoring at will every play because Tatum is still going to shoot an 18-footer over you. It's not like they're going to be like, oh, well, they're, they're small here. We're going to post up Rob yeah. and Horford. And yeah. like that's, that's not going to happen. They're going to get some lobs to Time Lord for sure. And those are going to be easy points. That matters. But I don't know that I trust those teams' offenses enough to punish what Brooklyn would be giving up. And then you just hope you turn into a track meet. And I think you can outscore Miami or Boston or Chicago. So then you hope that you get Philly and Milwaukee on the other side of the bracket. And you hope that Brooklyn finds a way to outscore Boston and Miami, presumably in some order. And then you just hope by the time that you made the Eastern finals that Embiid got hurt or I don't know, like, I don't know what you do against one of those two matchups, but I think that's the path to at least 
hope you have a chance against some of those other teams. What do you think? This is the thing is I should not be looking at a team that is the third highest odds to win the NBA title, plus 500 at FanDuel <laughs> and be like, yeah, you know, if, if all this works out right, it, it's just crazy how much respect they still get. This is why I still don't think at 500 there, there's a bet to be made on them. No. I'm, I, maybe I'll bet them round by round if I like the matchups or if there's injuries. Maybe they'll get injury luck. That might be it, right? It's just like they got hit by injuries last year. Maybe they get the injury luck this year. That's possible, but just wait to bet them then. Um, let me ask you this, though. In order to get in those, that bracket, they're going to have to get there. So just so everyone's aware of this, they're four back in the loss column from six seed Cleveland with 10 to play. Um, they'd have to jump over the Raptors as well in order to get out of the play in. Their tragic number is seven for a play in spot. What that means is any combination of four wins or any combination of seven wins or Nets losses by Cleveland and Chicago is inherently part of that as well. Chicago's got to do it too. Um, if the Cavs and Bulls both win and Nets combination losses equals seven, the Nets are in the play-in. I'm telling you right now, it is very likely that the, the Brooklyn Nets are in the playoffs. Four with less than 10 to go is a ton to make up. That is a ton to make up. You have to think about it. The Cavs have to not only lose four times, they have to lose four more times than Brooklyn will over these final nine games. The Nets are very likely to keep resting, guys, because that's been their whole M.O. They had a great spot last night to get a win over the Grizzlies without John Morant, and they couldn't do it with both guys. So to me, I think they're going to be in the play-in, which means that they're going to be at best seven or eight. If they beat the Raptors, if the Raptors are indeed, or if it's the Cavs, they'll be in the seven spot facing likely Milwaukee or the Philadelphia 76ers, who boy, Dramaville. Or if they lose that first one, they'll face the winner of the Atlanta Hawks and Charlotte Hornets. Look, the Nets will be a massive favorite. They'll be probably nine and a half point favorites versus either of those teams in a second game playoff situation. And they will likely have a win probability. Like if you play that game out 10,000 times, they're going to win 900,000 of them. I am just telling you, this is the whole thing that, that why players hate to play in is because they know if Hornets just have a night, by the way, the Hornets have the longest win streak in the league right now. If the Hornets have a night where they get red hot, if the Atlanta Hawks have a night where Trey Young's just unstoppable and KD just misses some jumpers, Brooklyn Nets are out of the playoffs, Brandon. Like, that is not a crazy scenario. I don't want to bet it, but it is not an absolutely insane scenario. How does that factor into how you look at the Nets right now? Not only having to make it out of the play-in, but having to then, they will, fight, face, they will face either Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, or Boston. It's going to be one of those four teams. They've made their bed. They've got to lie in it now. It's, it's yeah. a rough path. They do have a soft closing schedule. So if they suddenly, randomly, overnight, became all the things that we have just said that they could be, which there's no reason to believe that they should do that overnight. It's not like... Kyrie can play has magically solved everything and answered all these questions and given them the right rotations. It doesn't happen that way. They play Miami and Milwaukee over the next like 10 days. I think they're going to have to win at least one of those games. And there's a bunch of other very winnable soft games. It's conceivable looking at their schedule. They could go seven and two or eight and one closing out. Now they haven't all season. So we shouldn't <laughs> believe that they're going to, but, but they maybe. Could. Yeah, but it could work for us, right? Yes. So 
It's they're probably going to be in the play in because even if you get to, even if you go eight and one, so you get one of those Miami and Milwaukee games, lose the other one and win all the rest. Even then they get to 40, 46 wins and you still need help from Toronto and Cleveland. I don't think it's happening. What could happen though, that does matter and help them. Kyrie can play now in Brooklyn. But it would be nice if they didn't have to play against seven seed Toronto because he still can't play in Canada, as far as I know. Yep. So it's possible they could pass Toronto for the seven seed and get a home game and get Kyrie on the court. That would matter. It's possible that Toronto could pass Cleveland and get out of the play-in. And now you're playing Cleveland, maybe without Jared Allen and with Kyrie. That matters. So there are paths where... And some of those paths, they don't even control. That has nothing even to do with them winning or losing. So I, you feel pretty good about their chances, I think, still to get out of the plane and make the actual playoff bracket. From there, the problem is we talked about the matchups. You really don't want to get out of the plane as Brooklyn and suddenly have to get Embiid in the first round. It's funny because I don't think Philadelphia wants anything to do with Brooklyn either. Like these teams both would love to avoid each other at all costs, but you can't get to the first play-in game and be like, oh, well, Philly's the two seed. We'd rather play Miami, the one seed. So we'll just tank this one and then win the next play-in game. No, no, you don't tank a play-in game and then put yourself at risk of that Charlotte game you're talking about. You just got to get in at that point. So. It's, it's, it's all a mess because we don't know the top of the East. Those four teams are all within two wins of each other. It could go any direction. There's no guarantee now that Miami will even be the one seed. It, it's going to take a lot of things to line up, but it's interesting because pretty obviously, if you're those teams at the top, those four, you're looking down and you're either going to play presumably Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto or Brooklyn, regardless of all the stuff we've just said about the Nets, they're a pretty obvious answer to the one team of those four that you definitely don't want to play, right? Like you're pretty happy to play the Bulls, the Raptors, or the Cavs. We will assume all three of those teams are losing to any of the top four. We will not assume that the Nets are definitely out. So who jostles, who moves around Can you move around? Because we don't even know what seed the Nets will be. I think that's the interesting thing, but it's hard to see it all lining up just the way Brooklyn would want it. What percentage chance would you give them? So at plus 500, uh, they are currently 16.67% chance to win the NBA title. Yeah, I would go nowhere near that because on top of everything else, like you talked about injury luck, why am I betting on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving getting injury luck? Like I'm going to bet against that injury luck. And that is another factor that was always going to be a problem. You have, you have to play these guys 40 minutes a night for two months and have them stay healthy. So that's a problem too. That number feels like twice as high to me as it should. Like, I don't know if I can even get to 10%. Um, let me ask this. It's June. The NBA finals are tipping off. Somebody is out of the West. Let's say the Suns are out of the West mm. and the Brooklyn Nets are in the finals. Paint the picture. Well, what happened? Why are the Brooklyn Nets in the finals? How did we get here? They win the seven seed. 
it's Milwaukee, Brooklyn first round. Milwaukee has one of those series. They just don't like it's good jumpers. The shot quality is high. Every indication says they should have won the game. They don't just the number the, the shots just don't go down. Middleton and Drew just don't hit shots, which they didn't in that series last year. They just miss. They just miss. It's good shots. They can get whatever they want. Giannis has monster games. They just don't hit enough threes. The lack of wings for Milwaukee hurts them. They don't have enough three-point shooting. The Nets just wind up getting a ton of three-pointers off of Wes Matthews' defense and Grayson Allen defense and those kind of things. And Kevin Durant is the best player on the planet and proves it. And the Nets get past the Bucs. Uh, holy shit, watch out. They take on the Philadelphia 76ers in round two. Um, James Harden is slowed by the switching defense and is frustrated and can't get by and isn't getting calls. Joel Embiid is turning the ball over on double teams. Embiid has a monster series and is able to, to keep, get enough free throws to keep them in it. But ultimately, the Nets' ability, again, to just space the floor with all those shooters. They play four shooters, like three shooters, like you're talking about, three shooters, Kevin Durant, and uh, a, a big, the sacrifice at the altar of Embiid. Uh, Embiid shoots, you know, averages 35 and what, wh- how great and all these rebounds and free throws, but the Nets just outpace them and they win a tough game seven on the road in Philadelphia in the Eastern conference finals. It's uh, the Boston Celtics. And while the Boston Celtics are able to push them and the Celtics go up three, two on them, the Nets storm back behind a heroic effort from KD Kyrie puts Boston away in game seven, just by shooting the absolute friggin' lights out and the Brooklyn Nets advance to the finals where they face either the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Dallas Mavericks, Utah. I can't, no, you're not uh, giving the, them a chance against the Suns. That's no, no, what you're no, saying. The Denver Nuggets, <laughs> um, whoever. And in those matchups, the Nets should be fought, should be favored. If they get to the finals, they should be favored versus anybody who's not Phoenix. And so that's how they win the NBA title. It's plausible. Yeah, it's 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 live. It's it certainly is live. Yeah. I, I would not want to I would not want to bet my life against it. It's live. I don't want to bet against you know, I don't want to have some sizable position against Kevin Durant doing things. Like it's not a it's not a spot I like to be in in my life. I ran the numbers a little bit while you're painting the picture. First of all, if they end up in a bracket where it means going through Milwaukee and Philly in some order just to get to the Eastern Finals. Uh, I think I'm out. Like I, I don't know how you're getting through both of those teams and then still two other at best coin flip series. You said plus 500 right now to win the title. And do I like that? That plus 500 is a little long to make the finals for Brooklyn by looking at the numbers. Plus 500 is 17%. Looking at the numbers, I would put it like somewhere between 13 and 15% to make the finals. And then and then you're still, let's call it a coin flip there. So I'm at like seven-ish percent to win the title, which is real. That's a real number. And that might still be as high as almost anyone that's not Phoenix right now because it's wide open. But I, I'm certainly not betting the plus 500. Problem is like for them to make the the finals, they're only 250. They're 250 to win the conference. Right. That's a, like that's 29%. That's too high. Like that's for sure. That, that to me is too high. Like I do not give them a 29, a 30, a one in three chance, essentially to, to win the Eastern conference. I would give them a 20% chance to win the Eastern conference. They're good enough. Katie's good enough to demand that I, I would, it's okay that you don't agree. That's where I'm at. The finals number I think is adequately priced, but I still don't want to go into it because if it's a finals matchup versus Phoenix, Phoenix is going to be favored and I don't have a hedge out opportunity. I would probably 
bet the Nets in some degree versus the Suns. Um, it, it, just because I think there'll be a, a, a weird market on that. But as of right now, like, look, if this gets to 600, fine. 600, I can't deny the EV. But 500, they have to at some point tell us that they're different than the team they've told us they are all season. They've told us who they are all season, even with all of their injuries and unfortunate events and whatever decision making. But like all of this stuff, they've told us who they are. Until they tell us something differently, I don't think you can bet the Brooklyn Nets. That's going to wrap it up for Buckets for a Friday. Thanks for joining us on The Big Picture. Make sure to download the Action Network app. We'll be back on Monday with another episode of The Big Picture as well as the finale for fantasy basketball season. So check that out in your feeds. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Let's get Buckets.